0: You're listening to the Beyond Sundays podcast where we talk to people just like you who tell stories of God's faithfulness. And today I have a friend with me to do this conversation. I have the one, the only Brayden Crow.
1: Hello, hello. I'm
0: so glad you are here with me today. And I am just pumped to be able to talk about the government and our faith and the tension between both of those. And I couldn't think of anyone better to co-host this episode with me as we talk to Stephen Mansfield together. It was a powerful conversation. I can't wait for our audience to listen in. What were some of the, just the top takeaways, just or sort of what you're excited about in regards to this conversation?
1: Yeah, I was I was really excited about this. You know, I um, at Beltway, I get to do one of the things I get to do is I get to do research for Pastor David, and so uh, I knew that this sermon was coming up in Handle with Care, and um, this is something that just honestly I want to be better at. It's a um, it's a tension I find myself in of I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, um, and yet I have opinions about how our country should be ruled. Sure. And, I, and, I, and I have opinions on how we were founded and, and what our, uh, the documents mean that we establish this country upon. And so, um, but it's just this tension that I don't know how to manage super well. So I was super honored to be a part of it and just hear... Dr. Mansfield's, um, just his wisdom and just what he's seeing in D.C. But but probably the biggest takeaway that I got was, one, how we can pray. Mm-hmm. Um, two, that God is moving in D.C. even whenever we don't see it. Uh,
0: oh, that was so encouraging uh, yeah, to
1: hear. Yeah, absolutely. The way that he ended with that was really, really um, profound. And so those are those are big takeaways but but probably the last one is just that it's not as cut and dry as as we want it to be we we really just have to be okay with not having all the right answers yeah
0: yeah well you guys get ready it's a fantastic conversation with Stephen Mansfield so let's let's get to it thanks so much for joining us today all right well today we have a very special guest with us Stephen Mansfield hello
2: hey how are you
0: We're doing great here in Abilene, Texas. How are you doing where you are? I'm
2: doing good here in Washington, D.C. I'm delighted to talk to you there in Abilene, my old stomping grounds.
0: Yeah, that's right. You actually lived here for a a season and attended a university here.
2: I was there for 10 years after I graduated from college, and I did a master's Abilene Christian, yeah, in history and public policy. So they were a big part, and Abilene was a big part of my life.
0: Go Wildcats! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, why don't you give just a, a a description of what you do? You have a, you wear a lot of hats. Why don't you give us just a, a brief snapshot of the things that you have your hand in?
2: Sure, I'm happy to. Um, I, uh, by God's grace, I've been an author, and my books have uh, sold fairly well. I've had some New York Times bestsellers, and I only need to say that to say that that's what's given me a platform uh, here in DC and internationally. So. I have a a firm called the Mansfield Group, which consults here in D.C., does a lot of speaker training. Everybody wants to, every congressman wants to run for Senate, every senator wants to run for president, every general wants to go in the private sector. And so we do a lot of media training, uh, speaker training. Um, and then I do a, a lot of work with leaders. We have a building down on uh, Embassy Row and have a lot of international leaders there, ambassadors and what have you. It's it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. And then uh, so a lot in, in D.C. I also uh, work internationally and I'm an advocate for the Kurds. So I'm in Iraq a lot, uh, advocating for the Kurds, speaking to Congress, helping people know who the Kurds are and why they're important and how they play in American foreign policy, and then my final role is I'm senior fellow for public leadership at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. So a lot of travel, a lot of working with government leaders, a lot of, a lot of working with a sort of political elite. But I I really enjoy it, and God's God's uh, put me there, and I'm confident that uh, he'll he'll always guide me.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I told you this earlier before we actually started recording that um, I have loved you on podcasts like with Jordan Rainer talking about uh, one of the books that I read a couple years ago that you wrote, Search for God in Guinness. I loved that book. We go to Ireland almost every summer. So I absolutely loved just diving into the history of the Guinness family.
2: Well, I love that you did that. And you know, that that the book is a good symbol of what I do. Uh, I'm a devoted Christian, um, but I my focus is on faith as it applies in the in the world outside the church. And that's yes. not because I'm an anti-church guy. I'm I, as I often joke, I'm a member of two churches because I live in two different cities and I'm definitely going to heaven. Uh, but the point is that. Um, I write about how faith impacts the running of a a beer company and how faith impacts politics and how faith impacts national policy or education. So my focus is not so much faith as it's done within a church or within a religious organization, but how it impacts the quote-unquote real world. And so uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the book.
0: Well, that is exactly why we couldn't think of a better person to uh, speak into the issue of government and faith uh, because of... of where your role is in culture. And so, as you know, Pastor David has been going through a sermon series called Handle with Care, where we talk about uh, cultural issues within our society and what Jesus has to say about those issues. And so, as you know, they're hot, hot topics, hot button topics. And but the church has a role to play and we are in the world, but called to not be of it. But at the same time, speaking into those places with grace and truth is so important. and so. We're going to just dive right into that conversation about government and faith. And I think one of the pivotal questions that we wanted to ask you today to speak into is this. What is the one thing you believe that the church in America should hear concerning civil government?
2: Well, the one thing we should hear is something we really ought already know, but it's how to walk it out. And that that, that is that it is God ordained. Um, God ordained both the church and the state. Uh, The way our, you know, Calvinist colonial forebears used to say it uh, was uh, church and state are like in faith, but separate in function. That's, That's the way God ordained it. You can't read Romans 13 without believing that God ordained civil government. So it's wrong for us to think about civil government as a secular thing. Uh, It's wrong for us to think that that the ideal society, the church, or religious organizations dominate the entire society. Um, God set it up so we had to work together with them. And I think that that this is is important. It, It relates to our conversations about Christian nationalism. It relates to our conversations about how we Christians have an impact. In scripture, we're called to respect the people who are in office, even, even non-Christian, non Christian, non believing people. Um, we're taught to understand that government rests upon the authority of God. Um, but we're also called to realize we're meant to impact them, pray for them, love them, help them, but not be shaped by this world system that they're part of. And as you said, it's a bit of a balancing act. So every Christian would say they've read Romans 13 and believe it, but how we actually walk that out. Believing that we're meant to recognize it's from God, but it's not perfect, we're going to shape it as much as we can, but at the same time be apart from it, is a is a bit of a balancing act. And that's, that's the one thing I would say to most believers. We can affirm that God ordained government, but what's next? What's the next thing we do? And that's the space I live in all the time, is working with these high-powered leaders, many of whom are believers, a lot of whom are not. Um, and then how do you engage them as Jesus would want you to engage them?
0: That's really good.
1: Yeah. The, so along those lines, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to to talk a little bit more. Um, you referenced it briefly talking about kind of our conversations about Christian nationalism. And I know that you have this um, on your own podcast. I'm sure we can put that in the show notes. Sarah's not in her head. So. Yes, I
0: can. Um,
1: <laughs> but uh, I, I think that you put it really well of of how to balance that and and what it looks like in your own will. Um, and how that's different than what we should be willing on our government. So if you could elaborate on that, that'd be great.
2: Yeah, I, I'm a Christian, and therefore I want everybody in the world to be Christian.
1: And I, I say
2: that to my Muslim audiences. I say that to my Buddhist audiences. Of course, I'm a Christian, and I I found my, my meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want every person on the planet uh, to be the same. And and by the way, people of other religions respect me that I just out with that rather than try to hide who I really am and sneak it in into conversations or behind the scenes. Um, but uh, I, I'm hesitant about the term Christian nationalism because that means let's just Christianize everything in the country and everything will be perfect. The reality is that we've got to win hearts before we can change institutions. And what what, uh, the conversation about Christian nationalism often encourages is, let's just insist on our faith dominating through the law, through the force of law, through the force of government, when we haven't won hearts yet. Well, history shows us that doesn't work. That builds resentment. That builds anti-Christian sentiment. And the other thing that I do, by the way, that, that helps people maybe in the church think a little bit differently is... Look, I, I'm all for uh let's let's reform society, let's win society to Jesus, let's change the institutions along uh, biblical lines. People often say, let's go take Washington for Jesus. Now, I, I've attended rallies by those names. I'm not opposed, but but I live in that place. I live with people who are actually trying to work out biblical values in every area of policy. So when we sit in the church and we say, let's go take Washington, I say, okay, suppose I could give it to you tomorrow. What would you do with it? How do you run a Department of Education? What does a Christian military look like when you're flying F-17s around the sky? Um, what do you how do you think about policies for education or government or you know all the things government deals with in our society? So a little bit of humility on the part of us Christians and a little bit of preparation. I actually have encouraged some of the larger churches that I consult with to have guilds of people who are preparing for public service. So what does foreign policy look like? Let's have a lunch once a month or a dinner or a barbecue on somebody's back porch. Let's read a book, let's talk about that for those of us who feel like we're called to it. That way we're kind of preparing ourselves and dealing with our, um, with our intention to impact government with a certain degree of a humility. I, I, again, I believe my first principles are clear. I want the world to be Christian and every institution to be run for His glory. I think that's what God designed. But how do we work uh, in the already and not yetness of the kingdom? How do we deal with the fact that we have some Christian influence, but we don't have majority Christian influence in this country? And a lot of people are ticked off about what we did when we did that have influence. You know what I'm saying? I mean, for some folks, I, I work in a largely black world in D.C., go to a largely black church. Most of my friends are black, and um, they, you know, they said, "Well, hang on." When Christians dominated in South Alabama, the KKK had free reign. So let's talk about what we're talking about. Now, they're with me. They're people in government and so on. But they just want us to be careful about our language and how we, what kind of agenda we have. So all that to say, um, I want to see everything reflect the glory of God. How we get there, though, uh, is maybe a little bit different than what our average brother and sister in Christ is thinking, who doesn't have experience in political matters.
0: That's a really good perspective. I'm I'm someone who probably is not as knowledgeable in this area. Learning, growing, my husband is the one in our family who keeps me <laughs> in the know. Uh, but I appreciate your perspective in these areas because it's important to remember that it's hearts first. Ultimately, that is what Jesus came to do was to rescue hearts, to heal hearts, and I just I think reflecting that in this area is so pivotal. It's key even when we
2: disagree. Yeah. And we're going to disagree and Christians are going to disagree, but uh, you know, to the average, to the average non-believer in Abilene, for example, and remember I lived there for 10 years, Christians being in government we, means we ban booze sales on Sunday mornings, means we, sh- you know, we don't have strip clubs. I mean, and and, and believe me, I, I'm with some laws relating to all of this, but is that it? Right. <laughs> it's all about strip clubs and booze and and how much access we have for parking for our churches, I mean, is that the whole kingdom of God impacting Abilene? No, it has to do with content of education. It has to do with nobility of leaders. It has to do with our legal structure. It takes some time. It takes some study. So I'm not saying it's too, compl- too complicated for us to attempt. I'm saying that a little humility and a little recognition that if I've spent my whole life you know, working at Kroger, uh, that I'm not ready to just step into Congress and take over. And right. that's sort of the attitude, I say that with love, that's sort of the attitude of a lot of our believing friends. And I'm not saying I'm the expert, but I'm standing here with a lot of these people going, hey, I would love to know God's will in this situation. If you can tell me, great, because they're rap- grappling with it every day and they're people who want to know God's will. And sometimes it's not quite as easy. It's why we need the full powers of the Holy Spirit, the full powers of scripture and all the gifts the body of Christ ha- body of Christ has.
1: So a question I have, um, at least, for me, I don't want to speak for any, everyone listening for this, but uh, I have no intention of running for political office. However, <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> however, I want to be really well versed um, in in how to manage this tension really well, and and how to lead my family in that um, as a pastor, how to lead this church in that, and so what are what are resources? What are what are ways that we can um, can handle that tension well with respect of our national government? But also seeing the kingdom of God, seeing seeing um, seeing the heart of Jesus and what he wants this, this world to look like and, and just managing that well.
2: Well, a number of things. You've got to read. you got to read to lead. You guys have heard that phrase before. And so obviously read your Bible. Obviously read the good biblical worldview stuff that's out there, Francis Schaefer and other people like that. But then... I strongly recommend that you try to get out of your silo, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be insulting when I say that we all have silos. Some people are on like a Fox News crack pipe all day long, <laughs> and some people are on like an MSNBC, you know, crack pipe all day long. And I make some of my closer Christian friends a little bit nervous because I read very broadly. I mean, I don't read unclean stuff, but I read the ISIS newspaper and I read gay literature, uh, you know, magazines. And I read extremely liberal stuff and I read the communist stuff. Now, this is my job. I don't expect everybody sitting in Abilene to do this. And the reason is that the kingdom of God is broader than just a conservative brand of American politics. I'm a conservative. I'm a conservative. Don't get nervous. But when 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 a guy in the Democratic Party wants to take care of the poor, you know, he's talking the language of Jesus, even if he doesn't have the methods of Jesus. Um, at least he wants to care for the poor. At least he's, he's, he's leaning towards Isaiah 58. And, you know, man, if we take care of the poor, other, other cool things will happen in our society. So I recommend you read broadly. But a lot of it is start asking. It's easy for us to have slogans about things in D.C. and government. You know, let's just elect conservatives. Let's just get people who are pro-family. Let's just get people with traditional values. Almost everything I just said, I believe. But it's the next step. What does that exactly look like? What does that exactly look like? Um, How do you walk that out? So I would urge you, uh, try to think, even though you are – in deep sin, and you say you're never going to run for office. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 preach the gospel to you later, because um, maybe you're called to it. But even though you're going to do that, as you watch the news locally in Abilene and in all throughout Texas, and as you watch national news, just ask yourself what you would do if you had power. Mm. What would you do? And and try to put yourself in the real situation. If you've got you're talking about family values, but you're let's say I make you the principal of a school that's half families run by single moms. Right. Um, and, and maybe you've got some attitude about gays. I'm, i I hold completely biblical value value about gays. What are you gonna do with the twenty-five percent of a DC school where it's a, a gay union, a same-sex union? Well, you're gonna ban them all from school, you're gonna hang them all, you're gonna kick them out of the country. I mean, how do you deal with what is? Do you see what I'm talking right. about? Right. Again, I'm I'm a I'm a biblical Christian, so I, I believe what you believe about these things. But let's step off our front doorpost, doorstep, and say, what do we do if they put us in charge? Well, Mm -hmm. am I going to shoot everybody I don't agree with? So now you got to think through how to do this in a different situation. So it's a lot, uh, frankly, I appreciate your question, and I appreciate you saying you'll probably never run for office. But even just to vote wisely, lead the church well, lead your family well. You know, you're gonna you have I'm sure smart kids, or you will. They're gonna look at you over the breakfast table and say, "Dad, what would I do? What 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 are we supposed to do about such and such?" Yeah. And, and if you give them little simple, you know, cartoon Sunday morning answers, again, I'm not trying to be insulting about the church. I go to church every Sunday morning, but if you give, they're they're gonna grow up and go, Dad, Dad doesn't have answers. His faith doesn't have answers and this is actually becoming part of the reason we have the rise of nuns in ONES and the rise of a young generation breaking from the church because it sounded to a lot of our 20 somethings that the only answer we had was vote for Donald Trump. Well, vote for Trump or don't, but that's not that's not the sum of a biblical worldview. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So if we're not if even if we're not called to office, just the fact if you're not thinking these things through biblically, we don't have answers for the generation around us. We don't have answers for our neighbors. And eventually they're going to go, hey, if you're serving Jesus Christ and he's king of the world, man, you got to have more to say about local public schools than just being ticked off. And that's where a lot of Christians stop. So I'm speaking bluntly with you because I want to help you. But I I deal with this all the time. I get phone calls from congressmen who say, look, I just had a whole bunch of church people come in. I love them. I believe what they believe. What one dang thing they said that provides an answer for what I face every day. You see what I mean? And that's why they're calling me, because I'm trying to be a Christian who helps them think things through from the standpoint of a biblical worldview. But we live in a complex world. We live in a fallen world. And the answers aren't as easy as they sound in Sunday school on Sunday morning. And remember, I go to Sunday school. I'm in the club. I'm just trying to say there's a difference between that club and the club I'm sitting in here in D.C.
1: I think that that was immense wisdom. Thank you. I, uh, I didn't take offense to not running for political. O- I haven't been convicted yet to run for political <laughs> office yet. So Nor- I guess-
2: normally, normally you run for office and then you get convicted. <laughs> that, that's how it usually works. So that's, you, so gonna, that's how it happens. go to jail after you run for
1: office. <laughs> uh, I'm just playing. Um, so I guess just a follow up question with that is looking back at, at people who have done that. Well, I think about, um, just how this nation nation was established, establishing civil government um, whenever we first started, and so, you know, it, it seems like they they did it a whole lot better than we're trying to do right now. And so, uh, I understand that you're you're pretty well versed in that, and and I guess just unpack a little bit about maybe how this how this country was constructed, how our government was constructed, while still valuing Judeo Christian values, while um, also allowing freedom right. and, and and respect for people
2: um well it's interesting because the, our founding fathers found themselves very much in the kind of situation and attitudes that we have now. Um, they were breaking off from England which had tried to dominate them as colonies tried to manipulate them, tried to use them basically as a as a factory to produce goods and wealth for the mother country. Um, but they the england also dominated the colonies with the church uh the church of england was was re- replacing and oppressing um the presbyterian establishments and the uh and the baptist establishments and the and the catholic establishments of the colonies uh their religious preferences so the american revolution was viewed by our founding fathers as much as a holy war as anything else it was a battle over church it was a battle over religion in fact when the british Captured American pastors, American colonial pastors, they often put them to death. They routinely put colonial churches and uh, captured colonial churches, and either made them riding stables or houses of prostitution, just to desecrate them. They burned colonial copies of the Bible and burned colonial copies of Watts' hymnals, the famous hymnal from that 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 age, Isaac Watts. So there was an attempt to eradicate colonial faith. Well, of course, American colonies won the revolution. And so when they were establishing their uh, documents, their Con- Declaration of Independence and Constitution, they respected religion, but they had suspicion of the institutions of religion. You follow what I'm saying? That yep. They obviously yeah. respected biblical Christianity. They were mostly Christians themselves. Of all the signers, all but about two or three of the signers of the Declaration were believers. Um and even even then, they were half believers. They were just sort of rational. They were kind of like rationalists a little bit. Um, but man, they sure didn't want the federal government in the middle of religion. They didn't want the federal government establishing religion anymore. They wanted the British Parliament establishing religion. So they basically banned the federal government from being involved in, in making religious preferences. Remember your First Amendment: Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Congress. Congress out of religion, but the states could be as religious as they wanted to be, and many of them were almost like churches in a sense. Great at the local level, that's fine. So you had men, and uh, they were all men at that time, who respected Christianity, respected biblical truth. Even those who leaned a little bit away from traditional faith were people who respected the Bible. But they were very suspicious of what happened when government and church got in bed together. So they wanted those separate, and. Uh, as a result, you had a lot of freedom for uh, religion in America, a lot of freedom for biblical Christianity. Uh, because of the, the revivalist work of George Whitfield before the American Revolution, most of the American colonists were deep believers, and had, the nation really was born in a revival. But, but they were still suspicious of what would happen if the government controlled the state or vice versa. And that's what confuses some Christians. Why doesn't the Constitution just say, hey, we are a Christian country devoted to Jesus Christ? Because the founders of this country were suspicious of government documents saying that kind of stuff, even though they might be Christians themselves. Uh, In the same way that, you know, Southern Baptists officially, I speak at a lot of Southern Baptist churches and schools, love them dearly, but officially they, they, for a long time, didn't believe that Baptists should run for office,
1: <laughs> right? Mm-hmm.
2: Because they saw the government as the secular thing. And they're like, hey, we're better off if we're suspicious of you guys, not if we're joining you to run the society. So that brings us to our present situation where we have a lot of society a fish, uh, suspicious of any joining of church and state. While at the same time, yeah, they want leaders to be moral people and have a faith in God and all that kind of thing. They just, Still, people are suspicious of the state being too religious because somebody's going to be oppressed. Right? Mm -hmm. You're Jewish, you don't want a Christian necessarily deciding the laws. If you're Muslim, you don't want the Jews decide the laws. So let's just keep government out of it. The problem is we've gone towards too much secularism, and in the name of that secularism, we've gone towards oppression of Christians. So now, as you know, you know, God forbid, a cake maker in a Midwest state doesn't want to (laughs) celebrate a gay marriage. So, you know, now he's under prosecution. We've gone too far. Mm-hmm. But the problem, the problem, I'm just giving a little history lesson here, the problem comes out of our history where the founding fathers loved faith, loved religion, loved God. Most of them loved Jesus, but man, they weren't about to have um, a state religion. And that's we've been battling that out ever since. And it's moved too much towards secularism of late which is why you have some of the persecution and prosecution that you do, even down to the issue of abortion. You know, some of my good friends are the Green family of Hobby Lobby and their their company wouldn't provide a more as part of their uh, employee health insurance. Ended up having to appear before the Supreme Court. Now, they won. But the fact they even had to means that we've gone too too far towards a kind of a secularism and a state domination of conscience that we've all got to be careful about. So there are some people listening to what I'm saying here and going, man, it's too complex to fix. Well, that's the attitude we don't want. Uh, We want to believe we can fix it. We want to believe we can change it. But yeah, if I'm going to help you and and you're more importantly through you, your listeners, I'm going to have to say it's a little bit more complex than, hey, let's just return to traditional values. That sounds great. And I can wear that t-shirt, but how do you do it? And you got to win hearts before you win minds.
0: So good. Well, and I'm even reminded too of, you know, we are given a choice whether to accept the free gift of salvation, you know, and that's, that is the attitude that, that our father has towards us, towards his kids, the the ones he's created. We have that choice too, to either choose him or not to choose him. And so ultimately that's what our, our nation was, was founded upon was that choice of being able to choose.
2: You're exactly right. And if we don't allow that choice and respect it, then we get a lot of hypocrisy in religion. Mm -hmm. You know, Little History Lesson 313, Constantine issues the Edict of Milan, which makes the entire Roman Empire Christian. Um, Well... So since the emperor was starting to emphasize Christianity, and and you you got to the point where you couldn't even hold office unless you're a Christian, what's every pagan and non-believer going to do? Hey, I'm a Christian. Yep, I'm a Christian. You get a lot of false believers. Well, that's worse. Now you got people in the church, and even people leading churches, who are there because they they made a political decision, not because they made a spiritual decision. So suppose I passed a law that said only born-again people in Abilene, Texas can get government benefits. You'd have a whole lot of false religion and fake Christians, right? Because they're going to say, well, shoot, I, I don't like this law, but I want government benefits. So if you don't allow freedom of choice and you don't respect um, the fact that conscience and the heart's got to come first in religious matters and not just a, a, a kind of a one-size-fits-all insistence, um, you you pervert religion, you destroy the church, you make it make ever make religion a lie. And we've had that many times in in world history, and we have to learn from those lessons in our own time. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you're very well versed in this area, and we so appreciate your wisdom and your knowledge and sharing with us today. But I can't help but think about the possible listeners out there who may be interested in getting involved in local government or state government or, I mean, even national government at some point, or those that are already working in those fields. I'd love if you have any word of encouragement for people who are in the trenches per per se, you know, and trying to bring um, the gospel in these areas and win hearts, as you say, what would you say to encourage them today?
2: I, I I love that tribe. I work with that tribe ex- extensively, and I'm glad you've asked me to speak to them. First of all, I want to say I'm proud of them. This is this is a courageous decision. It's a difficult decision, but it's an essential decision. The second thing I would say is don't walk alone. Uh, pull your path. Don't put your pastor on camera, but pull your pastor into your office and into your life. Uh, get with other like-minded believers. Pray for each other. Stand with each other. One of the most uh, high-impact. Uh, men in the history of this this arena we're talking about, government and faith, was William Wilberforce, who helped to eradicate slavery from the British Empire. And you, you go back and read about his life. He was part of a group of people. They prayed for each other. They encouraged each other. They'd go out and get beaten up in the, in the world and in, in Parliament. They'd come back to a home. They'd break bread together. They'd encourage and pray and help each other heal. Don't walk alone. Get good people around you. And then the other thing, too, is that you only have to play your role. You don't have to be the answer for everything, right? In the course of a political career, if you, you pull off a few good things, a few good uh, moving the ball down the field for the gospel, that's great. Don't feel like you have to be the godly answer to everything. You'll probably specialize. You'll probably work in certain areas of politics. Do the best you can. We're proud of you. Walk with a little humility and don't feel like you have to hit hit a home run every time you get up to play. Some of the people I work with feel great burden to bring biblical worldview to every area of the government. They're going to die of stress before they're really effective if that's how they think. So I would say again, have, have godly people and pastors and leaders working with you privately and encouraging you and standing with you and speaking into your life. Don't walk alone. Have a band of brothers and a band of sisters and play your role. Uh, walk as God wants you to walk. Don't feel like you have to do everything. And, uh, it's going to take some, some years, maybe some decades, who knows, maybe some centuries before we see some things, uh, go worldwide the way we want to go. There are some places that never have been permeated by the gospel. Like we have take our time. We'll play our role. Uh, we'll win the victories that God ordains.
0: That's good. Good things take time.
2: They do. Uh,
1: just the, the last question I have for you, um, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but. You know, you're in D.C., um, you're you're very well versed in the political universe right now. And I just I would love to know what is the thing that that we as a church can be praying for for our country the most right now?
2: Um, the thing that I would urge you to be praying in, in the area that we're talking about, I mean, there are many things to pray for the country, but in the area that we're talking about is it would be it would be. Um, if I could impress on the average believer in America, the kind of spiritual pressure Christian leaders are under in Washington in state houses throughout the country, you know, the prime minister of Scotland just resigned and she said when she did that she had never anticipated how evil and how oppressive it was to have political leadership in a country now that's that's something we should listen to even though she's in scotland the the hatred the 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 assaults i work with a couple of female congressmen and senators they are they are threatened with rape one of them carries a gun legally for that reason um they they regularly have a porn see porn that circulated with their heads on the bodies of you know like playboy playmates kind of thing it's nasty it's vile they have to wonder about every time they turn a corner in dc one of them the one who owns a gun has her gun hand on her gun as she walks to her car every day and she has a driver most of the time she's still so I don't want to give you the impression that you know washington dc is like dodge city in the bad days or something um gun smoke or something but it's vile and not just about your physical safety but i know people who get elected to office they're thrilled to do it they take the oath they start doing it and they start being tormented at night spiritually they start having sickness and disease they're under spiritual attack the way we all under way we christians understand spiritual attack so we live in a, in a world that's not ruled by demons, but demons are active and battling people. Um, there's a lot of hatred out there. And so your average congressman, senator, staffer, whomever, executive branch member who's trying to do righteousness— is going to be smacked, smacked spiritually. And some of them are not equipped to battle back spiritually. We have to give them a a quick course in spiritual warfare so they can just survive because suddenly their kid is sick and their business is hit and their marriage is troubled. You understand what I'm saying? It's just the normal stuff we all go through when we're trying to bring the kingdom to bear in, in any area. But they are unprepared for the intensity. So if you were putting me in front of every Christian in America and they were asking me how to pray, it would be this area. That the level of uh of assault, the level of disillusionment, the level of hatred. I mean, how long do you stay in there taking these assaults when you know I, I'd much rather be down at Perini's in Buffalo Gap eating some barbecue and uh and not have to take all this? See, I know where the restaurants are. Don't look at me like I'm- <laughs> so um so all I'm trying to say is. If I could urge you to pray a certain way, it would be for that dynamic, because then if we don't break through on those issues, even even when we get good people in D.C., they won't last long. They won't last long. Uh, They'll they'll retire, or they'll resign, or they'll quit, or they'll get delusioned and get run off or whatever. So that's that area of protecting those who step up in the same way that you pray for my buddy Dave McQueen, the same way you pray for a pastor in the city. Uh, the pray, same way you pray. Maybe I'm just, I don't know who the mayor is right now in, in Abilene, but the, let's say the the mayor is a strong Christian. You pray. You pray for them, even if they're not strong Christians, but, so that they'll do righteousness. And if we don't pray, they're going to get they're going to get destroyed, and then the cause is lost.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good word, Braden. Do you have anything else you want to add?
1: No, I. That is um, that's great to know. I th- I think that. You know, we do a good job of saying, you know, pray for your leaders, and we. I think that we we keep them on our minds a lot, um, especially. I, I think a, a failure that the church oftentimes does is we keep. We keep the right winged candidates on our mind more, than we keep the left wing candidates, and and the enemy doesn't distinguish. He still right. is going to um, bring attack, and and. Um, what you're talking about, and so we for sure can be doing that better. Thank you. Well, and and, and I know that. I know, I know I've ranted on about this, but let me just say one more thing.
2: I often tell people that in Washington C, God is in Washington D.C. God is doing far more than you know, and the lines often aren't clear between left and right. Now, that's not because I'm squishy. I, <laughs> I I'm on Hannity. I'm on these shows. I often watch left and right beat the heck out of each other, and then when the show is over. Somebody looks at their watch and says, I'll see you across the street for a steak in five minutes. Okay, great. I'll be there. And I've sat there um, at, you know, whatever restaurant is across the street from Fox up in D.C. It happens to be Del Frisco's. But anyway, uh, up in New York and um, and then now they're having a big fest and talking about how this guy is the godparent to that guy's child and all that. But they've just been on television acting like they're at war. Well, I, I chastise them about that a little bit. I'm glad they're buddies. Don't misunderstand. But what they've just done is they have radicalized Walmart America. They've radicalized the street. They've made people on the street think that left and right hate each other. Remember that when Barack Obama was trying to uh, bring down his Obamacare um, as law, and he had a lot of abortion provisions in it, it was about two dozen Democrats, pro-life Democrats, who opposed him. Now, the I'm a conservative. I know that the average conservative or slash Republican in America doesn't even believe there are two dozen pro life Democrats, but there are. And so, don't just pray for those who share your party affiliation, because don't we want the other side to change? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And by the way, not only that, some of them are closer to where you are than you even know. In fact, I can name a lot of good, solid, frankly, relatively conservative people who are working in Democratic offices, but they're working on. On policy for healthcare. They're working on policies for education. They're working in areas that you would agree with what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just happen to be uh, right in the office of the other team. So I want to be, I want you to be careful of everybody to be careful about what you see on these cable TV stream fests. Um, sometimes there's a little theater going on. Sometimes people are kind of running for office. And the <laughs> fact is they all get they all get along much better than you would think. Um, I used to be on a show called Hannity and Combs before it was just the Hannity show. And Hannity and Combs would talk like they hated each other on the show. And as soon as it was over, let's go eat. How's your child? And and it turned out that Sean Hannity was the godparent to Combs' kids. That's how close they were. Wow. Um, and. But I even turned to them over dinner and I said, you guys, you guys got the whole country thinking you're going to kill each other if you get a chance. And here you are like having this family love fest. Mm -hmm. And they laughed. They said, yeah, that's the way it works these days. Just keep all I'm saying to you and your audience is keep that in mind. It's not as radical as you think. And so the anger that those scream fests put in our hearts can keep us from recognizing reality and interceding for people as we ought to. Thus Thus endeth the lesson.
0: Well, Stephen, we so appreciate your time today. Before we wrap up, I just have one more question for you, if that sounds good. Sure. All right. Sure. If there's one thing that you really want to reiterate to our audience today, um, maybe it's something you mentioned briefly, or maybe it's something completely different. What would the one thing be within the area, the context of government and faith? What would that one thing be that you would like to share with our audience today?
2: There are good people doing good things and many of you uh, in this audience and elsewhere need to join them, but learn first, have humility. The, the the, the simple slogans, traditional values, you know, turn back to get back to before the 1960s and the way things look like they are on, on the cable talk shows are, that's not, that's not enough. That's not real. So be humble prepare, learn, do what you're called to do. Things are more malleable in DC than you think, and as the phrase I always like to leave everybody with, God is doing more than you know.
0: That is good news. Praise God for that. Well, Stephen, we thank you so much. Um where can if people want to find out more from you, if they want to hear more of your voice, where would they go to find out more information about you?
2: The best place to go to find out everything about me is stephenmansfield.tv. My name is spelled the way it ought to be spelled, by the way. The only way that ought to be legal with a ph <laughs> in it, right? There you so go. <laughs> all all, all B-E-N should repent. So S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Stephenmansfield.tv and everything else I do can can you know they can find out about right there.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Stephen. We so appreciate your time today.
2: Great to be with you. Great to be with you.
0: Wasn't that awesome? Wow, I'm just, I'm so grateful for this conversation today. I definitely learned some new things and I hope you did too. Steven is so knowledgeable in this area as well as so many other areas. I mean, he's not only an author and a speaker, he's a historian and a coach to leaders worldwide. And I'm just so grateful for the time. He's a very, very busy man. I'm just so grateful for the time that he gave us today. He also hosts a podcast that I wanted you to be aware of called the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. You can find that information as well as the link that he mentioned earlier in the episode in our show notes. Thanks so much for listening to the Beyond Sundays podcast. We hope you guys have a wonderful week. And remember, God is moving all the time and he's moving in your life too. Beyond
1: Sundays.